You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right, so uh, I am not preaching today. Uh, It's a birthday gift. I'm going to call it from Pastor John Gowdy uh, down from Temple Baptist Church. He's going to be preaching. Uh, He's our good friend, our good brother in the Lord, and I'm excited to hear him preach out of the book of Proverbs this evening. So, John, here you go, brother. Thank you, and happy birthday. Congratulations. Great. All right. Good evening, everybody. It's a pleasure to be back with you. You may recall we were together during your uh, five solas, and I was able to share a little bit about Sola Deo Gloria, the glory of God. And as most of you know, we had the praise team at church at Temple Baptist this morning, and Pastor Dave spoke, preached on uh, overview of the book of Galatians, justification by faith alone. And I was uh, encouraging him while many churches, including I guess this one, canceled uh, that makes the radio audience a little larger, and we've had a, had a radio ministry actually since 1935 there, broadcasting live on Sunday morning, and the radio station estimates between four and 600 are listening. So he had probably a larger audience uh, by means of the radio and was able to share the gospel in such a, such a beautiful, beautiful way. Uh, tonight, what I would like to do is to tap into a God-given ability that we have to have images in our mind. We use the word imagination, root word image. So I'm going to be filling, hoping, filling your mind with biblical images, primarily from Proverbs 5 and 6. And I'm going to take my cue, though, from one of my favorite stories in all of the Word of God. I'll just review it for you briefly. You need not turn there. King David, right? King David. Great king, glorious king, the Davidic covenant, all of that. Had several children. One was his son Absalom, and if there was one area of David's life that was heartbreaking to him, it was the relationship that he had specifically with Absalom. Uh, While we love David, his home life was not necessarily the greatest. His role as a father, as you and I would think of, of a father, was not necessarily the strongest probably because he was king, probably because he was constantly at war, and probably because he had several children with several different women. And so it was hard for him to have a a nuclear family like we think about. And so you will recall that Absalom decided to overthrow David, to just usurp him, probably even try to kill him, and to take the throne. All right, so that's a story that you probably know well. In 2 Samuel 17, David has to run for his life with a group of faithful men. So Absalom seeks counsel, you may recall, how to defeat David. And so the first person that he calls is a military man by the name of Ahithophel. And Ahithophel basically says this, let's overwhelm, let's shock and awe. We can get 12,000 soldiers, no problem. We will chase him, hunt him down. He will run, but he can't run forever. Eventually his knees will weaken and we will take him to the ground and kill him and you will become the next king. We will simply overpower him logically. He cannot defeat 12,000 soldiers. The Bible says Absalom liked that approach and thought, okay, I'll go with that. He appealed to his logical mind. That is a logical truth, 12,000 can probably defeat 60. Probably. 
But uh, Absalom was at least wise enough. He said, well, let me get another opinion. And so he calls Hushai, 2 Samuel 17. And Hushai does what we're going to do tonight. Hushai begins to fill Absalom's mind with images. The first image that he gave him was, he said, listen, your father is a man of war. And if you go charging into the camp in the middle of the night, your father is smart enough to not sleep around the fire. He's going to be with two or three bodyguards in some cave, some hillside, some secret location. He is not even going to be in the camp when you try to overrun him. You're not going to catch him. Second of all, his heart is chafed. And he said, here's what he reminds me of. Of a mother bear robbed of her cubs. Now, ladies, let me tell you something. There is nothing more formidable in nature than a mama bear when you mess with her cubs. She will stop at nothing. It makes no difference who, what, where, when, and why. Those cubs cry, mama's coming. Right, ladies? When your children are in jeopardy or peril, a mother bear is formidable. She will back down from nothing. And Hushai said, look, that's how David is. He's a man of war. He's strategic, yes. But I got to tell you, have the image of a mother bear robbed of her cubs. Then he said, I'll tell you something else about your dad. He's got the heart of a lion. Second image, heart of a lion. He defeated Goliath, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. He's David the lion-hearted. So he's like a mama cub. He's like a lion. And finally, he said, rather than do what Ahithophel says, where you just come in loud and strong and constant, come in like this, as soft as the dew that falls from heaven, secretly, quietly. We will go out. And we will overcome him, and he will overwhelm him, and he will not even know that we're coming. And the Bible says that Absalom hearkened to that counsel rather than to the counsel of Ahithophel. Because why? Hushai was smart enough to call up images in his mind and heart. Not facts, images. The power of images. So I love that story. We're going to take a cue from that as we talk about relationships tonight. And I want to leave you with some images, primarily the image of water and the image of fire. So when I leave here tonight, I want to leave you with those two images, water and fire. Simple, right? The ancients thought the earth was made up of earth, wind, and fire. Earth meaning anything solid, including water, earth, wind, air, gases, and fire. Earth, wind, and fire. That's matter. We're going to take two of those images, water and fire. So join me in Proverbs chapter number five, if you would, please. Proverbs, the fifth chapter. Now, where you are in the Bible, obviously, is a part of what Solomon is all about. Solomon is a great contributor to your Bible. A great contributor. What you have in the book of Proverbs is actually a collection of his. Solomon collected numbers of things, animals, musical instruments, 
wives and concubines, 700 wives, 300 concubines. He was a collector. Uh, He also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, where he calls himself the preacher, ecclesia, the preacher. And he talks about life, vanity, and real meaning in life. And I'll come back to Ecclesiastes in a moment. He also left us the Song of Solomon. His dad was a songwriter, a hymn writer. Wrote most of the Psalms, many of them. Solomon, a couple of the Psalms. But Solomon was more of a producer of operas. In fact, the Bible says he produced a thousand and four of them. Plays that included drama and music. Operas. And one of them was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's called the Song of Solomon, or Canticles. And that's a great study that is well worth our time some other evening or some other service. But he, per, he provided a good chunk of Scripture. Now, where you are in the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, is in the very middle of nine chapters of the discussion of relationships between men and women. I don't know what kind of dad you grew up with. I don't know what kind of conversations you had with him about relationships. But uh, based on what I read in Proverbs 1 through 9, I would say this. We would have done well to have Solomon as a daddy. And let me tell you why. He's not embarrassed about the human body. He is not embarrassed about human relationships. He is not uptight about this topic and this subject. He removes the veil of secrecy. He takes away the junior high giggling mentality about it. And he sits down with his children, specifically his son. And he lays out, based on a lifetime of experience, he said, let me tell you about relationships. And so in Proverbs chapter 5, he says, I want to give you the image of water. Water, when it comes to relationships. Proverbs chapter number 5, verse 15. Drink waters out of your own cistern or well, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of water in the streets... Let them be only thine own, and not a stranger's with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Uh, God gave him a wisdom. Let's be honest. We would do well to do what Solomon said. We would not do as well to end up doing everything Solomon did. But what he said... Especially this passage of Scripture, of course, is inspired. And I want you to notice he uses a singular, rejoice with the wife of your youth. You remember I told you about Ecclesiastes? When you work your way through Ecclesiastes to the 12th chapter, he said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's the, here's the bottom line. Fear God, keep his commandments, for that is your whole duty. Fear God and keep his commandments. And he said, rejoice with the wife of your youth. The way human beings are wired deep down inside, at our core, is we long to be in an intimate relationship with someone that is exclusive. 
We'll have many, many kinds of relationships in our lives, but we long for the intimacy of a soulmate, of a partner, of someone who both connects and compliments us. And I'm not talking about verbal compliments, although that's a part of it. But where one is strong, the other has a lack. Where this one is strong, it fulfills the lack of the other. And the two together form a unit that is stronger than they are individually. And it no longer is me and you. It is now us. What is best for us? Us. Us. We long for that. And so Solomon said, here's what I want you to understand, son, about relationships. Water is necessary. Water is essential for life. We are essentially salt water in a sack of skin. Essentially the same salinity as the ocean, interestingly enough. And the elements of our bodies, obviously, dust to dust, are very similar to the earth. Salt water. You've tasted your tears, right? Salty. Blood is salty. Urine is salty. Salt water. Water is essential. We are essentially sacks of water in some ways when you look at our bodies. What Solomon said is, though, be careful where you get your water. Be careful what water you drink. The bottled water industry is huge, right? Huge. Communities, municipalities, city of Portsmouth constantly has their waters tested. Drinking water. My wife read... uh, I think on the internet about somebody's science fair experiment where they took all of the brands of water and found out that Fiji is actually the purest, cleanest, best balanced water on the market. It's a little more expensive. So I've noticed uh, when she does water shopping, she leans towards Fiji, right? I get that. Solomon said... Water's necessary, son, just like relationships are necessary. But don't go out here in the gutter to get your water. Don't take your water from somebody else's well. Look at the verses again. Drink waters out of your own cistern. There's an exclusivity there. In relationships... Think about it like water. Drink, drink deeply, enjoy that relationship of your own well. Then he said, and running waters out of your own well. Let this be an oasis for you. Let that relationship be like an artesian well. Running water, living water is what running water is. It's called living water. Remember Jesus with the woman at the well? Give me a drink. He said, I have living water. You're drinking old well water that's just stagnant down there. I've got water that's running, has been running. Living water. And that was highly desirable. And he said, it'll be a spring inside of you. And it will satisfy your deepest soul need. And she said, give me that water to drink. And he said, it's me. And it is the spirit within you water. 
Solomon said, son, I want you, when it comes to relationships, drink water out of your own well. Let it be living water, pure water, running water, out of your own cistern and well, privately. Then he said, drink waters, or let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of water in the streets. When you go out into the community, here's the image. People look at you and your marriage and you as a couple, and they say, that's what we want. That's what I would love to have. This, he said, is going to be so powerful. Your example of committed, exclusive relationship, drinking your own water and yours alone, will in your life spread your influence like a river, a torrent of water in the streets. People will know that that must be an incredibly satisfying marriage. The two of them exclusively forsaking all others. And they have found the joy of that water within their lives. And then he said, let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, the rivers of water in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not a stranger's with thee. Don't let anybody else come into that relationship. It gets crowded very quickly. And let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. So he said, son, I can't make it any plainer than that. If you want to talk about relationships, it's very complicated sometimes. But this is a joy. Uh, I think there's probably some wisdom. I like the images of some country songs. Uh, Blake Shelton's got a song out now. Have you heard it? Uh, You name the children, I'll name the dogs. Heard that song? He's trying to appeal to this girl. I love that. I think that's funny. Uh, how about this one, a, a couple that's really struggling. He says, if your phone ain't ringing, it's me. <laughs> I'm not going to call you anymore. Right? If your phone ain't ringing, that's me. Uh, one more. When Barbara Streisand married James Brolin, she recorded an album. And uh, Barbara Streisand, one of the songs had this line in it, if you ever leave me, Will you take me with you? That's kind of sweet, isn't it? So sometimes country songs can communicate some powerful images as well. So there's the image of water. But very quickly, turn the page if you would. Proverbs chapter 6. Let's talk a little bit about fire, shall we? Fire and light and warmth, another important part of life. Verse 23 of Proverbs 6. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with winking eyes, with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread And the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet be not burned? 
So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Men do not despise the thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. And he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. For jealousy is the rage of a man. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest him many gifts. Wow. Uh, This discussion's heating up here a little bit now. He said, okay, we'll talk about water, and that's very gentle, and you should get that. But he said, let me also talk about passion like fire. He said, here's the interesting thing about fire. If fire's over here in a fireplace, it's great. But if the fire spreads out of the fireplace into the house, it's destructive. Same fire. It's where it is. Fire in a stove, great. You can cook, do a lot of things with it. If the fire gets out in the house, same fire, it can destroy. Love, passion, fire, relationships, great. Contained, controlled in its proper place, in its proper setting, fantastic. It will give life and warmth and heat and light and joy, and comfort, and it's great. But if that fire spreads and gets out of control, it can be very destructive. And he said, look, love relationships are a lot like fire. And he said, if you let that fire, strange fire, other fire, embraced to your chest, it's going to burn. You allow yourself to walk on hot coals, your feet will be burned. And he said, I will tell you this. Make no mistake about it. It never works. You think you can get away with it. You think you're sophisticated enough to control it. You think nobody will know. You think it will be incredibly exciting and satisfying to go outside the confines of marriage. And Solomon said, I will tell you this. Your sin will find you out. And once that is out, it's out, and your reputation is gone. And while the relationship may be rescued and restored, trust, 100% trust, never will. It's been consumed. The trust has been broken in that relationship. And he said, uh, for example, that other man's wife that you're involved with, that other man, once he finds out about it, I don't care how many gifts you give him, I don't care how many times you say you're sorry, it makes no difference what amends you try to make, he'll never be satisfied. Son, it just, it just doesn't work. Fire's a good thing. Fire's a great thing. If it's in the fireplace, if it's in the stove, but you let the fire get out of the fireplace and the stove, he said the image is one of great destruction. He said, it's one thing. Remember, he said, look, I understand. Somebody that's really hungry, somebody that's really having a difficult time in life, people understand and say, look, look, you take some bread. Sure, we all understand that kind of hunger. We're all hungry. We all have needs. So while it's not right, 
we understand it. But if you're a married man, why go outside of that? You have everything you need with each other. It's God-given. There's nothing dirty about it. There's nothing wrong about it. There's everything right about it. The Bible says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. God smiles on that relationship. God gave that relationship. God made that relationship and rejoices in it and blesses in it. His blessing is in it. But to go outside of that, you're playing with fire. Yes or no, did David ever commit adultery? He did, didn't he? Uh, It got a little worse than that. Not only did he commit adultery with Bathsheba, he committed murder. You remember he brought her wonderful husband Uriah home from the battle once he learned she was with child. And he said, look, you're one of my generals. Come on down to the palace. Let's have a meal. And Uriah did. He was a Hittite, by the way, but very dedicated to David. And so they had a big feast, and David tried to get him drunk, and he drank a little bit. And he said, go on home, be with your wife, take a few days off. Who remembers what Uriah the Hittite did when he left the palace? He went and he slept outside, right? Because he thought to himself, how can I go home when all of my men are in battle? I I just can't do that. And so David learned that he didn't go home, so he had him come back. And he fed him again, and he gave him more to drink. And he said, come on, go home. And what was his plan? His plan was that Uriah would go. Obviously, he's a soldier away from his wife. Bathsheba's very beautiful. They'll have relations. She'll come out that she's with child, and he will naturally think it's his, and David think. I'll get away with it. We'll just say the child was premature, didn't, wasn't nine months, or whatever. Uriah doesn't go back. So David tells the commander of his army, I want you to take Uriah, put him in the worst battle there is, and I want you to put him in the front of that battle, and I want you to make sure that he loses his life. And that's what happened. Then beyond that, When the child was born, the Bible says that the child died. The child lived for a very short time, and David was praying for the child and interceding for the child, but the child died. So, uh, problem solved, right? You rise out of the picture. Baby's dead. Life goes on. One day, Nathan, his trusted advisor, comes to him and he said, uh, by the way, he said there was an issue out in, the, out in the kingdom. It's a small thing. It's a private thing. But he said, uh, there's this guy, really rich, and he's got all these sheep, you know. And his neighbor's very poor, and his neighbor's just got one little sheep, and he's raised the sheep 
this little lamb from when it was born. It was a pet to him, and he named it, and he took care of it. David's going, yeah, I relate to all of that. I'm a shepherd. I Really? Yeah, well, what happened? He said, well, the rich guy had some company come. And he said he hopped the fence, and he took that, that neighbor's lamb, slaughtered it, killed it, and served it to his guests when he had hundreds of his own sheep. He said, could you believe that he would do that? And David said, anybody that has done that, you bring him here, that man deserves to die that would do that. Who remembers? What did Nathan then say to him? Four words. Thou art the man. That's you. You've got hundreds of wives. And you hopped the fence and you took Uriah's wife and you slaughtered her for all practical purposes. Her womanhood, her motherhood. You are the man. And if you want to know what true repentance looks like, make a note somewhere in, at least in your mind, to Psalm 51. In Psalm 51 is David's song of true repentance about all of that. Psalm 51. What is the point of that? How did Nathan deal with him? He didn't come in and accuse him and belittle him. He didn't go to anybody else and gossip about him. He didn't go and cut him to everyone else. He went to him. He said, let me tell you a story. Let me fill your mind with an image of a guy with one little lamb that he raised and loved and named and that a neighbor took him. And David said, I get that. That's that's me. That's exactly what I did. And I have hundreds of images. So what did we talk about tonight? We talked about Solomon. We talked about David. We talked about Absalom. We talked about water. We talked about fire. I wanted to fill your mind with images tonight. Images. Your imagination. The picture in your head. I'll leave you with this. Once David dies and gathers his feet up into his bed and passes on and he had married Bathsheba and God chose that their next child, Solomon, you know that right, is David and Bathsheba's child, is Solomon. When you read about Solomon setting up his cabinet, one of the people that he keeps is Nathan. David could have had Nathan killed for that, thinking, now you know about this Bathsheba business, I'm gonna have, I'll kill you myself. He didn't. That's why he's a man after God's own heart. He kept Nathan around. Not only did he keep Nathan around, when Solomon became king, he kept Nathan around. And read your Bible carefully. One of, Nathan, one of Solomon's sons' name is also Nathan. I love that. What a brilliant man. He handled himself so well. 
if you know somebody that's in the throes of an affair or toying with all of those kinds of things or addictions on the internet or all kinds of things where they're drinking filthy water and fire is not in its proper place. Yeah, water and fire, we get that. It's important. It's necessary for life. If you're going to get involved in counseling and encouraging them, prayerfully and carefully and tenderly approach them with images that reflect the truth of Scripture. That's a very, very powerful way of influencing people, humanly speaking, is to tap into their imagination, their images, and their mind. And that is precisely what happens in Scripture. And over and over and over again, the master teacher himself, Jesus, uses images. A man went forth to sow seed, and some of the seed fell on stony ground, and some fell on rocky ground, and some fell on pretty good ground, but it didn't come up, and the weeds choked it, and some fell on good ground. Images, images, images. A man had two sons. One came to him and said, give me all that I have. And he ended up slopping hogs and coming home. And instead of saying, give me, he now says, make me one of your servants. And the image of that, song, of that story, parable after parable. I will leave you with this truth. And with this, I close. When you pick up your Bible, here's the genius of it. According to the book of James, one of the things that this book is, is a mirror. And so when I open the Bible, it is a mirror. And I want to see myself in that mirror. But then it's a magic mirror because it's a mirror that turns into a window. Meaning that not only is it something that can help me see myself, it is now a window that I can look through and see the world and see the truth of God all around me. It's a window to a bigger world. But the Bible's not through yet. It is a mirror that becomes a window that turns into a door so that you and I may step through it and live its truth. That's your Bible. Read it as a mirror. See it as a window. But step through it as a door. James 1.22, But be ye doers of the word, and not just hearers only. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We pray that the images of our mind would be those led of your spirit. Fill our minds and hearts that we may live your truth. We pray for the relationships in this room. The devil himself would love nothing more than to destroy, devour, wreck, and ruin. Help us to see it as pure water. Help us to see it as blazing fire, but in the proper context. For we ask it in Jesus' matchless name. And amen. God bless you.